You can grab a seat. As you're sitting, uh, I would encourage you, if there's spots like towards the middle of your aisle that are open, if you could scoot, that would be awesome because we still have some people looking to find a seat because today is the beginning of the spring. It's just insane. And if you were here this morning and you are a senior graduating in May, just let me know if you are here. We have, okay, there we go. Like seven, okay. That's good. Some of you graduating December. Any seniors graduating December? Okay, no shame. Good job, Seth Fry. Yeah, there we go. There's a few more. I didn't just make up that name. That's his name. His last name is Fry. That's pretty awesome. But we uh, have this semester upon us. There are seven of us apparently around that are probably in the midst of insanity. Uh, one of the things I've noticed about college is that it basically begins and ends in the same way, uh, just utter chaos. Uh, if they're not here this morning, there are other seniors here at A&M who are freaking out right now because they need to find a job, right? They need to find somewhere to go. They don't know where they're going to live. They don't know what, maybe what they're going to do. Uh, maybe they're freaking out who they're going to marry, right? And so they're, they're asking themselves all these tough questions. They're saying, do girls even live in Dallas? Like, I don't know. Like, and they're trying to make these decisions about what to do with their lives. But what I love about it is that that's the way college ends. But honestly, that's the exact same way that it begins. How many of us started college last semester this past fall? Okay, there we go. Excellent. Well, welcome. You made it one semester. Maybe you'll make two. We'll see. But uh, you're here, right? And honestly, you know, I know when I was a freshman, all of us probably know our freshman year, that first fall was insane, right? You don't know what you're doing. Like you're trying to figure out your class. You're trying to figure out what your major is. You're trying to figure out uh, like what organizations to get involved in, what, what to do. And you probably a lot of you were worried about like who you're going to marry at that point, right? And you're like, I don't know, like do girls even go to West Campus? I don't know. Right? I don't know where to go or what to do. And you're just kind of confused. And I had that moment where I didn't know what was going on. And so I would seek older wisdom. I would seek guys who were in college or just out of college, asking them, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? And one of the guys that I knew happened to be the president at that time of a Christian organization on campus called BCA, Brotherhood of Christian Aggies. And he was the president. And so he told me and my friends, he's like, you guys really need to get involved, right? Everyone would tell us, like, you need to get involved. We'd say, well, what do we need to get involved in? We'd, they'd just be, get involved, just do it. I'm like, okay, okay. But he would say, okay, don't just get involved. You need to get involved in BCA. He's like, I'm the president of that. He's like, it's really great. You guys would love it. You would connect. You would find these guys that are just like you, right? He was our Bible study leader. So he knew that we were pursuing the Lord and knew that we were kind of on that track. So he was like, you guys need to join BCA. You will fit in so great. You'll love it. So my friends and I were like, okay, this, this will be great. And so my best friend, who's also my doormate, we both went out together. We went out for BCA. We did this like big week-long process where you like play ultimate Frisbee and uh, go do a service project. And then you have to go do this like interview thing. And it was really awesome. And we really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed uh, just seeing a lot of these really awesome Christian guys who were passionate about the Lord, uh, passionate about just getting to know each other, encouraging one another, excited to do something with their faith, a really awesome group of guys who just then completely rejected me uh, from the organization. Uh, they gave me a, a no. And so I remember the moment where you go to the MSC and we would pick up these envelopes and you would open it really ominously. Uh, and mine said, oh, no, but we love you. I was like, <laughs> okay. But my best friend slash doormate got in. He was like, we love you you're in. And I was like, oh, cool. And so I remember that moment though, where we were walking away from the MSC and I had my rejection letter and he had his acceptance letter and we're just kind of walking next to each other. And I remember thinking, what, what's wrong with me? Right? Like, 
what did I, what did I do? Like, what, what, was it, am I too tall? Or like, did I not address them with the pr- proper term? I don't, like, what happened? And in my mind, it was like quickly racing. I thought like, well, no, like, surely there's nothing that wrong. I'm like, my mom just told me that I'm awesome. So there can't be anything wrong with me. Therefore, what's wrong with them? Right? And suddenly I became really angry. Like, just, this is all in one, like, hundred yard space like spot on the sidewalk. I was like depressed. And then suddenly I'm just rage. Like what's wrong with them? I, why, why wouldn't they accept me? Like, why didn't they want me in their organization? Why would they not put me in there? Like, what is wrong with those guys? What's wrong with them? And the reality is that a lot of us, all of us have experienced rejection on some level. That was the first time I'd ever experienced like official, like on a piece of paper inside an envelope rejection. And I was like, what? it shook me up. And rejection has a way of doing that to us. It has a way of just shaking us up or, or honestly, it has a way of tearing us down. It has a way of just messing with our minds and making us freak out because we don't know what to do. And oftentimes we ask ourselves that question that starts with, what's wrong with something? What's wrong with me? Or him, or, or her, or, or them, or, or that teacher, or, or my parent? Like, what's wrong with that person? Or we ask ourselves, why didn't I get that? Why didn't I get that grade or that internship or or that organization? Why was I rejected in romance? Why doesn't she want to go on a date with me? Why doesn't he ask me out? And that rejection has a way of messing with us and forcing us to ask those tough questions And the more that we ask those questions, the more that we face rejection, whether it's in romance or in a job or in school or in your family, in a relationship where a friend just betrays you, the more we experience that rejection, the more kind of just inward and self-focused we get and we ask ourselves those questions and we just get bitter or we just get really depressed and down on ourselves. And I see it in my life, I see it in your life, and I ask myself, is that how Christians should respond? Is that really how we're supposed to respond to rejection? By questioning what's wrong with myself or or the other person? Is that how Christians, is that how a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is supposed to respond to rejection? And I don't think it is. So then what do we do? How should we respond? If that's not the way, what is the correct response? This whole semester, we are walking through the life of David. We are walking through this just whole spectrum of of these things that this man in our Bible did. This guy named David, who was king of Israel. We're walking through his life, and we're looking at basically just snapshots of his life. We're looking at different stories that he was a part of. We're looking at psalms that he wrote. That's what Whitney Whitney just read. A psalm was something that he wrote, almost like peeking inside of his journal. We see the thoughts and the mind of this man because we want to understand it because he is the one guy in all of Scripture that we see called a man after God's own heart. God himself says that David was a man after his own heart. And when I hear that, when I see that there is a man who is so in line with the Lord that God called him a man after his own heart, I want to be that. Right? I want that heart. I want to be in that same spot. I want to have those characteristics. I, I want to be that man. And I want you to be that man. I want you to have that heart. So this whole semester, we're looking through what made him like that. What were the characteristics? What were the foundational pieces that made him to be this person after God's own 
heart. Last week, we looked at the idea that David, he understood his sin. He understood the depth of sin, and in light of sin, he loved grace. That he realized that there was nothing he could do that would amount to anything before the Lord, and so he loved the fact that God loved him anyway. He loved the grace of God. We talked about that last week. We looked at the fact that that was one of the foundational building blocks, one of those qualities that God always wants in his people, quality that made David a man after his own heart. But this morning, we're looking back in time. We were going further back in David's life, starting at the very beginning. And we're going to look at the way that he responds to rejection. Not the way he responded to sin and grace like last week. Instead, how did he respond to rejection? If you have a Bible, you want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we have the amazing ability to project images onto walls including Bible verses, if we put them in the correct image format. Here we go. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Start off with a guy named Samuel. Lord says to him, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among sons. We see God speaking to a prophet, a guy named Samuel, who was prophet, meaning he was God's messenger to the Israelites at that time. That's what it meant to be a prophet. And so God spoke to Samuel. He says, look, you need to quit being depressed. You need to quit grieving. See, Samuel was really upset. He was grieving over this guy named Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, the first king of Israel, a man who the people or all got together like, we really need a king. We need somebody up front. And God's like, you really don't. They're like, no, yeah, we do. God says, okay. And so he gives them Saul. And they're like, oh, we like that guy. He's tall and he uh, beat up a bunch of bad guys and he could pick up oxen with his hand. Like, he's awesome. Let's get that guy. And so God says, okay, here you go. And Saul becomes the king. But the problem is that Saul turned out to be a terrible, terrible king. Terrible. Because he would not obey the Lord. Saul made all these terrible decisions, inflated himself, like built up all these like selfish things for himself, did all these things wrong. And Samuel was continually having to clean up after Saul. So he's grieving. He's realizing, wow, Saul's a terrible king. I'm sad about this. In fact, just right before this, chapter four, Samuel just cleaned up Saul, maybe one of Saul's biggest messes. Basically the last straw where God said, okay, that's it. Saul will no longer be king. Samuel 15, super awesome story. Samuel goes, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. Okay, to give you some background, basically Saul just had this big battle. God said, you need to go, you need to wipe out these people. These people are super evil. Amalekites, crazy evil. God said, you need to wipe them out. They're giving you guys trouble. They're invading your lands. You need to just wipe out these Amalekites, Saul. Wipe out all of them. Saul said, yeah, we'll fight, but I, I kind of like this Agag guy. He liked the king. He was like, he's, he's kind of cool. And so he kept him alive. And he kept alive like a bunch of oxen and kept all this cool stuff. He's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll kill most of them, but Agag's cool, man. He's cool. And so Agag's really pumped up, right? That's why he's really cheerful coming to see him. He's like, hey, hey bitterness of death has passed. Everything's cool, man, right? Because Agag is realizing his life was just spared. Samuel knows, no, no, this is not God's plan. Therefore, we get to probably the most hardcore action one-liner in the Bible, verse 33. Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces. 
before the Lord in Gilgal. What? <laughs> Hacked him to pieces. Hacked, not only, okay, so I remember this story from growing up because it's like, better look out for the prophets. And we're like, oh, okay. I did not remember though, best one-liner I've ever heard came right before the best hacking I've ever seen. Your mom will no longer have children. Agag says, what? <laughs> Dead. <laughs> Dead. That's, that's an Arnold line right there. They should steal that. Your mother, no more kids or whatever. I don't know. That was terrible. Uh, Basically, though, Samuel's having to clean up these messes. This is the last thing he just did with Saul. And so we see even right at the end of 15, he he leaves and he's sad. He's like, oh my gosh, Saul's making all these mistakes. I don't know what to do. So God says, yeah, I know. I know. Saul's a terrible king. Instead, that's why I told Samuel, look, I've given you, I've given myself another king. So, So go to Jesse. Go to Jesse, where you're going to find who I actually want to be king. So we see in Samuel 16, chapter, or verse 2, Samuel said, well, then how can I go? He says, if Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel says, look, if Saul knows that I'm going to pick a new king, Saul's going to get really upset, right? Like, that's not, it's not cool to do that in front of the new king. It's treason. So God says, well, you're going to go and you're going to perform a sacrifice you're going to have a secret mission underneath that sacrifice. He says, go to Jesse and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Right? Because this is Samuel, the hackett man. Okay? So they come, they're like, is is everything cool? My mom's still going to have kids after this, right? (laughs) Samuel says, yeah, don't worry. He says, peaceably. He says, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. All right, so Samuel, we now see he's in the town of Bethlehem. He's got Jesse, this guy that God told him to go to. He's got his sons lined up. He says, okay, the Lord is going to instruct me to pick one of these guys to be king. And the way you would do that in those, in those days, is you would anoint them with oil. It was a sign of uh, high, high honor to be anointed with oil. It meant that you were chosen. So Samuel's waiting. He's like, okay, so I'm going to get one of these guys, make him king. So in verse 6, when they came, Samuel looks on Eliab and thought immediately, well, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Because Samuel would think in third person sometimes. It's weird. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me, is before the Lord right now. Eliab, oldest son. Because this guy was a stud. He's the oldest son of all these sons, which means he's really tough. He grew up in a tough household, right? He's got a lot of responsibilities. And he's grown, and he's probably a very impressive man. That's what we kind of infer from this passage. We see that Eliab was a very impressive man. I like to think of him as basically uh, one of the long-lost Hemsworth brothers. I don't know if you've seen Chris Hemsworth, Liam Hemsworth. If you haven't, here they are. <laughs> men among men. I don't know how else to describe them. You see, you're like, what? What DNA lottery did you win? And they <laughs> exist, right? So take your pick. I don't know which one you like more. I'd go for Chris. And so Chris Hemsworth, Thor, is standing in front of Samuel. Samuel says, well, here we go. We've made, we have arrived at the moment where God has chosen his king. This is so great. And he's pulling out the oil. He's like, here we go. And all of a sudden... Verse 7, the Lord says to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have actually rejected him. 
For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In fact, we see Eliab in the next chapter. We see a little bit of his character. We see a little bit of his heart as he interacts with David on a battlefield. We're going to see it next week. And in those interactions, we see that Eliab was a bitter, vindictive man. Probably very prideful. A man who looked great and knew it. So God said, no, he, he doesn't count, right? We need to look deeper. The Lord looks at his heart, not at his outward appearance. Something that we've learned, right? Maybe through life you've kind of learned you can't always judge a book by its cover, right? We have this idea that, you know, there's someone can look really great. Someone can have these, it looks awesome, but then you interact with them some and you're like, oh my gosh, no, like, ooh. I know a guy who uh, he told me one time that his kind of dating philosophy was uh, stay away from the bad girls. Okay, that was, his, that was his rule of thumb. Stay away from the bad girls. I said, okay, more power to you. But even with that motto, he still winds up on like crazy dates. Read this past semester, he was telling me about how he met this one girl kind of like through Snapchat. I was like, well, <laughs> okay. I <laughs> think there's... Step one, all right? But uh, met this girl kind of through chat, Snapchat. She seemed really nice. They got to know each other, exchanged numbers, and connected each other on social media, thought each other were really funny, decided to go on a date. They go on this, like, date thing, and she's, they're like, she turns out to be, like, this crazy person, Cra- just straight-up crazy person. And so in that moment, he's like, oh, my gosh, like, I thought I knew who she was, right? Like, those selfies were just hilarious, right? Or I don't know. Those captions, ooh. But we interact with one another. I look deeper. I see her heart, and, man, it... It just doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work between us. Whether or not, you know, there's, there's something just intrinsically wrong with her, we just, she could be great, but we just don't click, right? Like, it's just, right? Because he looks deeper, you see the heart of a person, then you realize, wow, that's, it's a whole other ball game. The Lord says, I'm always looking at the man's heart. God says, I'm never fooled by those outward appearances. So pass over Eliab. In fact, then Jesse calls Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Over and over and over again, these impressive men, these Hemsworth boys are walking in front of Samuel. And Samuel says, I got nothing. This isn't it. At which point Samuel is now backed into this really awkward corner where all everyone who's there is, is done and he's now thinking, well, what is going on? And he asks the super awkward question of, are all your sons here? Jesse says, basically, technically, yes. Right? There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send, get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Jesse says, literally, the youngest, it could be also translated as the smallest. Literally, in the Hebrew, we see it, almost this idea of the runt of the litter. The smallest of the small. The nobody that nobody cares about. Jesse says, yeah, I got this one, but he's out with the sheep. That's basically just like the scrub. Jo- like, that's the job no one really wants. He says, yeah, he's out there. Samuel says, well, you got to bring him. You got to bring him. Jesse says, Okay. Here we go. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, 
anoint him, for this is he. See, David had been rejected by his family. He was out there. I mean, he was out with the sheep. Jesse didn't even bring it. He was just one of those, like, technically, yes, I guess he's my son. That was his status in the family. But God says, this is him. In the midst of that rejection, God selected David. In the midst of experiencing that, I'm sure, very depressing, very, very hard rejection from his dad, from his brothers, from his family, David knew his status. And in the midst of it, God chose him. God selected him. God said, this is going to be my king. And honestly, if this was our proper underdog tale, right, this would be the beginning of David's grand adventures. Right? This is that moment where Hagrid busts in and says, David, you're a wizard. <laughs> and then David should go do crazy stuff. Right? This is the moment where Obi-Wan says, you're a Jedi. Look at this. And David should be like, yeah, and go off on his adventure. Right? This is the moment where someone comes and says, David, you can cook methamphetamines. And he's like, oh, cool. Right? And he goes off in his camper and does stuff. Right? Like that's that should be what happens, right? In our classic underdog tales, the legends that we tell one another, the legends that we watch on our screens, that's what happens. Once you're found, then your adventure begins. That's why if this is what happened, if that's what happened, the lesson would be, hey, yeah, you know what? You are awesome. There is something wrong with that person that's been overlooking you. You just need to wait. Just wait, and one day someone's gonna see how great you are, and then you get to go do great things. Just wait. Someone will see how great you truly are. But that's not our lesson. That's not what happens. That's not what occurs in David's life. From this point on, in fact, we see at least 15 years pass before David actually becomes king. In fact, right after this, Seven verses later, we see Saul, and he's kind of, he's freaking out. Uh, he has this evil spirit upon him. He fe- he's going basically crazy. And, he think- and the only thing that can really chill him out and make him kind of calm down is music. So he goes to his people, and he says, hey, w- w- I need a, like a really good musician. They're like, well, there's this guy named David. And he's like, okay, get him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. You know how I know that David's adventures didn't begin? You know how I know that he went right back into rejection status by his family? He was with the sheep. As soon as Samuel left, Samuel, the prophet from God, the man who spoke with the Lord's words, poured oil on David's head, said, you will be king of Israel. As soon as he leaves, David goes back out into the field. Jesse says, back to the sheep. Back to your status of the rejected son. Because he's with the sheep. The reality is that our lesson is not this idea of you just need to wait. Someone's going to see how great you are. It's not always the case. Sometimes you're going to feel like you have this amazing power, right? You have this amazing potential. We look at David. God himself told him, you're going to be king of all of my nation. I've chosen you to lead my chosen people. I've selected you to rule over the people I've selected out of all of the world. You are the leader of the one nation that are my people. And what is he doing? He's taking care of sheep. He goes back 
to his day job. Which is frustrating for us. Because we want him to respond very differently. Right? We want Jesse to tell him, hey David, I need you to go back out into the pasture. I need you to go back out, take care of those sheep again. We want David to be like, whatever, right? And just to take off on his Harley, right? With this whole past uh, semester, or sometime in the past semester, a year, there's this video that people loved. It was this girl and she was dancing. Okay, the whole video is just her like dancing in this office building. And the reason people loved it is because it's the way that she quit her job. She worked at some like video production company and she made this, so she put together this like 90 second video where she's just like dancing like around the office, like on top of chairs and in the bathroom and stuff. And the whole time words are popping up on the bottom. It's like, I worked here for this long and I did these certain things and our, we just make these bumpers for news stations and I don't, that's not my passion. And so I quit. This is my quitting video. And it, everyone loved it. Everyone's like, yeah, you go, you go dancing girl. You get it, right? You're quirky. I love it. Make those videos, right? We wanted her to go and pursue her dreams. We're like, what a great way to quit. Yeah, yeah, you should embarrass those people that employed you. When I was in college or in high school, I was going into college. I worked this summer job, uh, just this menial labor job. And so at the end of the summer, I was like, I got this new job lined up on campus. I'm going to do these different things. So I needed to just quit the job, this kind of temporary summer job. And so I thought, well, I, no one respects me. They don't, they don't see my potential. So I decided to quit in this grand, extravagant way. I walked into my supervisor's office, said, hey, Greg, I don't remember his name, Greg. So I said, what? I go, knock, knock. <laughs> Says, what are you doing? Knock, knock, Greg. <laughs> it's a middle-aged man, just trying to make a living. Has to say, who's there? I say, not me in two weeks. <laughs> he says, are you serious? I go, huh? I'm done. I'm gone. And I walked out. I just left. <laughs> and I was an idiot, right? Like, I looked back at that. Like, what was I thinking? But it's because we have this idea of, wow, I'm meant for these great things. And, and I should then just show everybody. I'm going to show them. I'm going to quit with a knock-knock joke that I stole from Dilbert. I'm going to do it. I'm going to grit in this grand way. That's what we want David to do. But what does David do? How does he respond to his rejection? What does he do when his dad says, go back to the sheep? He goes back. How does David respond to rejection? With faithfulness. With faithfulness. How do I know that he was faithful? Because he's with the sheep. David experienced an incredible rejection and said, you know what? I'm going to trust that the Lord is working. I'm going to trust that God has a greater plan. I'm going to trust that my Lord is more powerful than this rejection. I'm going to trust that my God is working through this rejection in my life. Therefore, I'm going to be faithful with what I have been given. I'm not going to ask myself what's wrong with them. I'm not going to ask myself what's wrong with me. I'm not going to ask myself, why don't I get that? Instead, I'm going to ask myself, what do I have? What has the Lord given me? What can I be faithful in today? Because the truth is that our God loves to work through people who have been rejected. Loves it. We see repeatedly throughout Scripture, throughout our history, God works through rejection. That's why so many of our biblical heroes these paragons of the faith, these people that we lift up and say, that was the guy or that was the girl. Like these are the people that we love and admire in our scriptures. They're fishermen, the bottom of the totem pole, fishermen, they're prostitutes. 
They're widows. They're orphans. Those are the people that we see in our scripture who God uses to do amazing things because God loves to work through people who have been rejected. That's why we look in our scripture, we see the amazing central idea of our scripture, the one hinging fact, the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. The fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose again, proving power over sin and death. That whole fact, that whole story, that whole scenario is only possible through rejection. We live because Jesus Christ, God himself, was rejected. And Jesus Christ, who was rejected more powerfully than any of us will ever be rejected. Jesus Christ himself told us, Luke 17, be faithful. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful with what God has given you. Don't ask yourself what's wrong with these people. Don't ask yourself, why don't I get? Instead, ask yourself, what do I have? What has God put in front of me? What can I be faithful with today? And that's hard. That is a difficult mindset to keep. But honestly, it's the one that God wants us to have. It's the one that God always looks for in his people. It's the one, that's the mindset, that's the characteristic that made David a man after God's own heart. The fact that he was able to be faithful, the fact that he was able to respond to rejection by being faithful, trusting God's greater plan in his life. See, our problem is that we've been told that we're so awesome, that we're so amazing. We have this captive audience either in our friends or online, where we can just share our thoughts and our awesome pictures of that soup that we ordered. We have these delusions of grandeur. That's what it is. It's a delusion. And honestly, what's really, really sad, I'm in seminary right now. I don't know if I've seen it, those delusions, any greater than in men and women who are going into ministry. Who go to seminary and expect... I'm a prophet. People need to listen to me. I had a prof right, at, DTA, at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, and he, so he was Dr. Orr. He was awesome. He was a, a missions prof, head of the missions department. He told us a story about how he went to DTS back in the 70s or 80s or something to get his THM, okay, so Master's of Theology, 120 hours of classwork, coursework to get the degree, take a ton of languages, uh, you turn in a thesis. You do this great thing. It's a huge degree, well-respected. And he got it. Okay, finished it. And he knew that as soon as he finished his degree that he was going to go back over to Africa where he had been a year before where he did kind of an internship with this training institute, this institute where they brought in these uh, pastors from basically just like really, really tiny rural towns in, around Africa. And they, he would bring them in, and these pastors would get trained in how to just pastor their flock, how to take care of people, how to teach, how to lead. And he worked there for a summer and loved it. And the people loved him. They said, oh my gosh, please, 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 when you finish your degree in a year, please come back, teach for us. Please come train these young men and women to go and do the Lord's work. And Dr. Orr said, yes, I would love to. So he finished up his THM, this huge degree that could get him a head pastor job lots of places, and says, you know what, I'm going to go back to this institute. Shows up, they tell him, we filled the spot that we offered you, but what we really need right now is a janitor. 
We have no one overseeing our maintenance needs. And he said, okay. This man who had multiple degrees, could work anywhere he wanted, was a janitor for three years. Three years. And it's one of those things that he told us in class that that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. It's like, but honestly, at this point, I wish every single Dallas Theological graduate had to go be a janitor for three years. It's because the Lord has not broken me down like that anywhere else. He says, and I'm so much better for it. Because now I realize that I'm called to be faithful in whatever the Lord gives me. There's another church up in Dallas, Grace Bible Church in Dallas. And their head pastor has this motto, this kind of standard uh, policy that anytime he gets a seminary student, anytime he gets a, a graduate, someone, even if they didn't even go to seminary, someone who comes in and says, you know what, I'm ready to be teaching Sunday school class, okay? Or I'm ready to te- lead a Bible study, I'm ready to do these things. We're like, don't worry, I read some sermons, right? I read that Driscoll book, I'm ready, right? Like, I'm ready to teach these, these classes. He says every single time he tells them, okay, you know what, that's awesome. What I really need right now is a children's Sunday school teacher Every single time he puts them in like second grade, first grade, third grade, fourth grade, Sunday school classes. These men who have degrees or are working on degrees at seminaries says, you got to go, you can go teach in there. And so if they make it a semester, he then gives them a different position. Doesn't tell them that, but knows in his mind, if they can last a whole semester teaching those kids, I'll give them a bigger thing. He says, because honestly, if you can teach second graders, you can teach anybody, right? Like that's, that's just kind of truth. He says, if you can teach second grade, you can teach anybody. So I'm going to put you in there for a semester. See if you make it, at least this semester, maybe a year. But then I'll give you adult, I'll give you, you know, easy, easy league. He said, over half the time, the guys just leave. The girls just leave. Because they don't cut it. Because they don't have this mindset. They're not like David. They respond to rejection by asking, what's wrong with you? Why don't you give me what I want? They don't ask, how can I be faithful? what the Lord's given me. Let me just encourage you, as you're being faithful, as you're being faithful in these small things, oftentimes, like I said, Luke 17, Christ tells us, you need to be faithful in little things before you will be given the larger things. You have to prove yourself faithful in the small before you can be faithful in the large. And so as you're faithful for the small, I would encourage you to keep three things in mind. Okay, As you are maybe serving in children's ministry, maybe if you're serving in an organization, maybe if you don't really have anything right now in your life, maybe you need to find somewhere to serve. Maybe you need to find something to give your time to. Maybe you need to volunteer to be a small group leader here at Grace. Maybe you need to give your time to go work in the nursery or go work in Sunday school classes. Maybe you need to volunteer in the youth. Maybe you need to go serve in Club 56. Maybe you need to go get a conversation partner, an international student on campus. I don't know. If you don't have somewhere to serve, I would encourage you first, serve. And then as you're doing that, keep three things in mind. Realize that God's solutions are often very strange. That's what we see here in this story. We see this man, this boy named David, the reject, right? The run of the family. He's God's pick. That's very, very strange. So Samuel had to be very open. Even to David, that idea of being king, that's a very strange idea. So you've got to be open to the Lord's plan. And oftentimes, as God is moving and working, the promotions that he has are often very sudden can be very surprising. So you need to be ready. 
as you're faithful in whatever the Lord has given you, be ready for the different opportunity. Not always just looking and just kind of giving this your, but be ready. Ready to leave maybe your comfort zone. Maybe the little thing that you're faithful in, you just love it and you never want to step away and God says, I have this bigger thing. I want you to do this. And you uh, Be ready. And as you're being open and ready, trust the Lord. He realized that his selections are always sovereign, so be sensitive. Be sensitive to his call. Be listening. Paying attention. See, when I was... Uh, Researching this, reading about David, I've come across this awesome quote, a guy named uh, Charles Swindoll or Chuck Swindoll. Huge pastor, has a bunch of books. In fact, he has a m- m- sermon series that turned into a book on the life of David, which is amazing. Kind of kicked off, almost really kicked off his whole career as a minister. And he says this about David, about even this particular time in David's life. He says, our calling is to be faithful in the demanding tasks, whether that is our education, our marriage, our occupation, or just the daily grind of life. So says, that's the kind of men and women God wants to use. The ones who are faithful in what they've been given. The ones who ask themselves, what has God given me? Not focusing on the rejection that they experience from the world, but instead focusing on the selection that every Christian has received. The fact that I know I'm a son or I know I'm a daughter of Christ, of God. When I was rejected from BCA, I didn't know what to do. And I was angry and confused and upset. And my roommate was in it, and that just made me bitter. And I remember looking at him across, across our room. We're sitting on our beds because the dorm room's like, you know, this big. So we're basically just standing face to face. And I remember thinking in my mind, I can't believe you made it, and I didn't. I was so angry by my best friend, my brother. But you know as soon as I faced that rejection, I, I knew, though, I realized, I thought, you know what, though, I know I got to do something. I know that the God calls me to serve. I know that's something that's been put in front of me. I know that the Lord has called me to serve in some way. So since I wasn't going to be in BCA, I said, you know what, I'm going to go serve somewhere else. And that place happened to be Grace Bible Church Youth Group. I, ran, I found out, I met their uh, junior high guy who's over all the junior high stuff talked with him, found out that they needed help running different special events in the junior high. So I said, hey, I can do that. And so I helped host like lock-ins and I did like retreats and I just kind of helped in that way in ways that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was in BCA at the time. I had this time that was available and I was open to the idea of doing something different. So I served in that way. And as I led in junior high, I then decided to become a regular volunteer, full-time leader with the youth group. So I went and became a leader I had a grade of really awesome guys that were just super solid. They were like the best grade in the high school. And as soon as I stepped into that leadership position, they said, hey, we actually have this group of guys that are in this grade who are all on the basketball team, right? They're all friends with this one guy who's on the basketball team. We have like nine dudes from the basketball team. And they needed someone to lead them. Like they're on just a whole different playing field than the rest of these guys. Would you do that? I said, I guess so. And so I became the leader over these guys who didn't know who Adam and Eve were. They didn't understand any Bible terminology I had ever learned as a kid growing up in church. They didn't know anything. And I said, you know what? Okay, well, let's, let's just get into this. And I just learned over the course of a year, I served with those guys and those were my dudes. And we got to know each other and served alongside one another. And, and I got to pour into them because I was ready to do something different, right? Because I wasn't only just open to this craziness. I was also ready. I was ready to step into this 
spot where God needed me. I was ready to step into that need that they had. And suddenly I was leading with them. And then something opened up, in fact, in the junior high department. The head junior high guy left. And they said, hey, actually, now we really, really need someone to run all the junior high stuff. Would you do it? I said, okay. So I did it. Did that for a few years. And they said, hey, actually, we need now someone to go over to Southwood, our other campus. We need someone to go over there and run that youth stuff, high school and junior high. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So I went over there for two years. And then they said, hey, actually, uh, now we actually need someone back at Anderson uh, in college ministry. So let's go ahead. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's do it. And I've just been moving back and forth and doing these different things because I was saying, you know what? I just want to be where the Lord wants me. I just want to do what the Lord wants me to do. I was open. I was ready. And I was sensitive. I was listening. Because honestly, I wanted to go all these different places. I wanted to go to seminary. I wanted to do these other things. I wanted to work at different churches. But instead of being set on my plan, instead of asking myself, why don't I get to go do that? Instead, I asked myself, what does God have for me here? Where does God want me to be? I was sensitive to his call. I wouldn't have it any other way. Kidding me? My plans were terrible compared to what the Lord has done in my life. Because I was willing to be faithful, God used me. I promise you, if you are willing to be faithful, he will use you too. We're going to spend a little bit more time worshiping. We're going to spend a little bit more time singing some songs. And I would just encourage you during this time, maybe you're singing the words on the screen. Uh, maybe you're just sitting quietly and praying to the Lord. Maybe you just take this time to ask him to show you where are you called to be faithful. Maybe you ask him to help you get over the rejection you've experienced in whatever capacity. Instead, ask him to show you what has he given you now? What do you have today? What can you focus your attention and energy on while trusting that the Lord is moving, trusting that the Lord will take care of your future instead of worrying about today? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. God, we thank you that you are so great, so mighty, and that God you're not only mighty and powerful, but that, God, you are loving and gracious. God, we thank you that you have given all of us something. God, even if we don't even know what it is at this very moment, God, we trust that you have given us something. God, reveal that to us. If you would take a moment right now, just ask the Lord to show you where can you serve him right now whether it's something you're already involved in, maybe whether it's something that you need to volunteer to be involved in, right? Maybe today. Ask the Lord to show you where has he called you to serve? And if you would, take a moment now and ask the Lord to give you the strength, the resolve to be faithful. Ask the Lord to move in your heart and in your mind to make you open and ready and sensitive. Ask the Lord to give you that heart that's just like his, that's just like David's. Ask the Lord to help you be faithful in those little things that you've been given. Ask him for that strength.